Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Intimacy with God, and it is part of the Conversations with God Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Jason McCutcheon. So we're going to be talking today, uh, continuing our series on prayer, which I think Pastor has done a wonderful job with. How many of you guys would agree? Um, I would hope some of you guys are experiencing maybe um, a more a greater richness in your faith, and, and, and actually that's expressed through prayer. But hopefully you're having just a richer prayer life this year. Um, I know it tends to be that when we go through um, tough times, tough seasons, which a lot of us, I think, you know, as a nation have been through, <laughs> that maybe prayer becomes more um, important to our sanity. And hopefully for you guys, it's not just during these bad times. You know, I think the strength of your prayer life is usually found in how well you pray when things are going well. Um, and so that's not my sermon. That was free. So anyway, I'm going to get, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Dear God, we thank you that we get to have a relationship with you that is expressed through, um, communion and connection and conversations and listening and just, you know, a relationship. Um, we thank you because that's expressed in our prayer. And I, I pray for anyone in here who's struggling in their prayer life. I pray that today would have helped them. And I pray we would be able to pin down one of the reasons we struggle today and then find the solution so that we can come boldly before the throne room and receive grace. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to read you guys a story. It's a long story, but it's a, an important story. It's in Genesis 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in, in the garden, but God, God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. A lot of blame shifting going around. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and wild animals. 
You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from food, eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife Eve, because she would became the excuse me. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living things. Then the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to the garden, the way to the tree of life. Long story. Um, many, of course, there are people that believe that's allegorical. Um, I believe it's historical. But um, either way, I think the same story is told, which is we lived in a paradise. We had it all. Um, and we kind of screwed it up. And I think all of us would agree there's something wrong with the world, and it starts here. Um, so today we're going to talk about prayer. And, and this might seem like a very strange passage to start out with um, when you're talking about prayer, because it doesn't really directly address this idea that we would, or at least a modern concept of prayer, you know. But I think it's within the passage is one of those key concepts that holds many of us back from having a very rich prayer life. Um, to having a prayer life that moves beyond the routines, um, that has any kind of meat to it, that has a rewarding relational aspect to it. And I think for many of us, we crave relationships. We crave this connection. And when we go to pray, it feels like the opposite. Of, it feels like a chore. It feels, or, or even worse, it feels um, deeply shameful. When we enter into our prayer life, we feel so inadequate that we flinch and we back off. So t- today's message is about intimacy. Intimacy and connection and, and how essential that is to our prayer life. Um, the methods of prayer are, of course, important, and I think we spend a lot of time talking about that in our churches, like five ways to pray better, and, you know, even Jesus, he taught this incredible method of prayer, you know, in the Lord's Prayer. Like, there's nothing wrong with techniques and learning more skill and learning the language of prayer, um, and for many of us, we crave that kind of instruction, and that is awesome. But I promise you, if you can't break through into what really is the heart of prayer, which is intimacy. All the technique in the world will fall flat. So today we're going to break out the problem of intimacy, excuse me, the problem of intimacy, the power of intimacy, and the pathway to intimacy. See, 
It's a very simple problem with intimacy. Um, anybody ever, um, you know, anyone here married? So, so, so we know about this problem. The problem is that it's hard. <laughs> intimacy is hard. It's scary. You know, the story finds us in the Garden of Eden. You know, for those that are unfamiliar with the story of Eden, it was this perfect place, like I said. It was this paradise. But there's this other component that I think Christians often gloss over. You know, I remember growing up in the church, I would, we would be like, in Eden, the animals talked. That's why they weren't surprised when the snake talked to them. I'm like, yes, that's the cool part about Eden. Or in Eden, all, they just ate from all the trees. They didn't have to toil. That's why, that's cool. No, I mean, the actual cool part about Eden is that God would walk around. <laughs> like, that's the actual cool part. The other stuff is pretty secondary. It's like, oh, do you see that tree? It has fruit on it. <laughs> it's like, well, I, we have trees with fruit. That's, that's not unique to Eden. Um, but this idea that God would walk with them. He would walk with them and commune with them and be close to them. You know, and to talk it all, top it all off, they were naked the whole time. And they didn't care at all. It actually says in Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Right? So there's this idea that they were totally vulnerable. Constantly totally vulnerable. Totally exposed. Walking around this garden, communing with God. Freely. You know, and this existence was total freedom. This is paradise. This is an incredible place. You know, I think it's really interesting. We see how it all went wrong, right? When we try to take it into our own hands. This disastrous result. And the moment they bite into this fruit, the moment they bite into this fruit, their true state of vulnerability is revealed to them. They suddenly realize, like, I'm exposed here. I'm exposed. Like, before, they didn't even acknowledge it. Before sin, before they disobeyed God, they were in perfect connection with God, and they would be with God, and they never thought, like, man, I hope God doesn't see me naked. And the second they eat this fruit, that's the first concern they have. You know, you see, the first thing sin will do for us is it will cause us to cover up and hide. It's the first thing that happens in your life when sin starts entering your life. And I'm not just talking like acute sin where like you do a sin. But like this state of being in sin. This, this, this state that we are all in where we know there's something wrong with us. It will cause us to cover up and hide. It's interesting in the story too because God comes down and he's like walking around. And he asks three questions. He goes like, hey, where are you? And then he's like, who told you you were naked, right? And, and like, these are not real questions. <laughs> because you don't think God knew where they were? You know, he knew who told him they were naked. He knew all, God knew what was going on. He wanted to see, are we still good? Like, the lying immediately starts, the dishonesty, the hiding this is a really fascinating story of what we're like. Why we struggle to connect with God. Because many of us find ourselves in the same position. God's asking us questions we know he knows the answer to. And we're still telling him, like, yeah, I'm good, God. I'm good. 
It's like, well, I, you, know, you, you know I know you haven't read the Bible in three years. Like, I'm God. And he's like, oh, yeah, I just love the Bible, though. Like, that one time when I was in college and I read John, I was so sick. Like, I'm still feeling the shock waves of that moment. You know, God is coming and he's saying, you know, giving us these prompts for intimacy, and we're rejecting them. In every turn, we're hiding, we're covering ourselves with these fig leaves. You know, intimacy is defined, I think, at least not I think, I got this from some dictionary, so I didn't make it up, but intimacy says close familiarity or friendship, closeness, right? Talk about being just close to God. And, and ultimately, like, when you see the story of they bring up this nakedness all the time because nakedness, I think, in the human experience is, like, the most intimate thing, whether it be with your spouse. Even, like, when children come into the world, they come into the world naked. And, and, and one of the things that's fascinating to me is, like, my kid, she's like, I don't want to wear pants. Walk around the house, no pants. There's no thought to this. She doesn't care. There's no shame. She doesn't think for one second I shouldn't be wearing pants. By the way, you should all wear pants. <laughs> That's not the point of this. But, but this idea, though, that um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to look at the story of Adam and Eve and judge them. I think a lot of us kind of, oh, look at those scumbags blaming their wife. You're supposed to protect your wife. Look at her. She's tempting her husband. These are naughty, naughty Adam and Eve. I would have never done that. Um, <laughs> you know, even the idea of, like, I'm mocking them for being ashamed of their nakedness because the absurd concept of, like, being ashamed of something that you've always been, it's absurd when you think about it. The, uh, this idea of hiding from a God who's an all-seeing, all, like, these are absurd ideas that don't really make a lot of sense logically, but I think we actually do the same thing. You know, we all came into this world naked and unashamed. That's our natural state. And even though we crave intimacy with God and others, we know real relationships, we know that's what we need. We know we want intimacy. But we also all know what it's like to have something to hide and to feel like we're not acceptable. You know, and our response to this feeling is, isn't much different than what Adam and Eve did. You know, we lie. We pretend to have it all together. We, a lot of us, we get overly religious. We get overly unreligious, I don't know, whatever you're dealing with. Um, we, we pretend to be happy. We obscure our flaws, hide things, lie, cover up, overcompensate because we don't want to be found out. And I think at the core of this is this feeling that if people really knew what I was really like, they would not accept me. They would not love me. You know, Adam and Eve were faced with this prospect of this intimate communion with this all-seeing God, and they chose to run and hide. And they had no reason to think anything but good things about God. So we all cover up our nakedness with something. This, we have, of course, you know, actual nakedness. And then we have um, the, uh, the proverbial nakedness, the, our, our shame. And it's really ultimately like, 
That's how we perceive it, at least. We perceive nakedness as shame. But I want to kind of give us a different perspective on it today, which is this idea of being vulnerable with God. This idea that ultimately um, the only way to be close to him is to let him see who we really are and to make that a core component of our prayer lives. You know, Tim Keller has a quote that really sticks with me, which I somewhat adjusted, but um, it says, humans were designed to be both known and loved, but because of sin, the essence of the human condition is that we feel we can only be loved if we are not known. And this is, the you were created naked and unashamed, yet many of us feel like no one would love us, including God, if they really knew us. And so we spend our entire life ducking and hiding and creating fig leaves. The problem with intimacy is that it's hard. Intimacy is scary. Intimacy exposes us to risk. And at the core of um, prayer, which is what we're talking about this month, is communion. It's walking with God. He comes to the garden. He says, I want to be with you. And, And we walk with him. You know, God's willing to come and be with us. I think it's really interesting that God knew that Adam and Eve had sinned and he still came for his appointment. Many of us think like God is not going to be there after we make that big mistake. And he's like, waiting, I'm still here. You know? But it is scary because, like, this is what it says in Hebrews, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes, before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That is the nature of God. We know this, that nothing is hidden. And that, rightfully, is very terrifying. And for many of us, this has been, and, and, and like, I don't think most of us actually like, actively acknowledge this, why we have shallow, weak prayer lives, why we don't want to dig deep into scripture, why we don't want to get accountable and join a small group and actually talk to other Christians about what's going on in our lives, why we just have these token Christian faiths. The Bible says you have a form of godliness, but you deny its power. This is... Ultimately, I think, because we are unwilling to get real. We are afraid of intimacy. We don't talk about what's really going on in our lives. And maybe, maybe we judge each other. I don't know, but I don't like to put things on other people. I like to put things on myself. So if you judge me, that's your problem. But my problem is I have to be real. No one else, you can't control other people, but you can control yourself. I would encourage you. That's a great way to live your life. Um, also free. You know, anyone who has ventured into the garden with God will soon realize that they too are naked. That's the truth. When you try to do this Christian life thing, it will constantly make you feel exposed. And I think without even knowing it, many of you have kept your Christian faith above the surface because you know the second you get real about it, God's going to start doing work. And you're going to have to deal with some things in your life that are not comfortable. You're going to have to accept realities about yourself that are not comfortable. We know this. The story tells us we know this. They had no reason to think that they needed to hide, but they still did it. Luckily, intimacy has some real benefits. The power of intimacy 
Um, is it the core of why we should all want it? Besides the fact that I think we all inherently want it, there's some real benefits, you know? I want to go back to this Tim, Tim Keller quote. It says, humans were designed to be both known and loved, but because of sin, the essence of the human condition is that we feel we can only be loved if we are not known. So, so this idea that we are designed to be known means that it's the optimal state of being. You are at your best when you have nothing to hide. We've all seen that. You're at your best when you have intimate connections with others, and of course, with God in prayer. You know, the sense that there's something off and there's truly something wrong, you know, many people hit a point in their walk where they, they experience this, and they get around amazing saints, right? You've seen this. I've seen this a ton of times. Somebody starts coming to church, start coming to the small groups. They get around these godly people, and they're like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not like that person. I can't, I can never be as good as that person. And like, instead of going like, hey, let me talk to you. I, how did you become like this amazing godly person? I want to emulate that. They, they, they bail. They back off. Because the sense of, like, it's exposing them. And they don't want that. I've seen this, you know, or they read the Bible and they feel dumb. They're like, I can't even understand this. I'm out. Like, that's being exposed. That's a sense of, that. oh, the, you know, the emperor has no clothes here. I, I thought I was a really brilliant person. I'm reading this book and I can't, you know. They try to please God over and over and over again. And they keep failing. Maybe they have a sin area in their life that just they can't seem to beat. You know, this experience of being exposed as weak and needy, it's pretty tough. But if you understand who your God is and what he's trying to do, you realize it's actually a mercy on you. And I would encourage you guys that this is part of the intimacy. This is part of getting to know God, and it's the key to the power that comes in prayer is allowing yourself to be real with the fact that you don't have it all together and that you need God. Intimacy and vulnerability with God opens the door for God's greatest gift to us. His grace is seen by, cover, by the covering blood of Jesus Christ. The more you get exposed as needing Jesus, the more you have an opportunity to be dependent on Jesus. And I think that's an incredible part, and it will lead you to some incredible moments in prayer. You know, those of you that allow themselves to be seen by God, who don't hide, who don't put on the fig tree, fig leaves, um, when they're in their prayer lives, right? And they open up, and they give God their hearts, and they spill their guts, right? Those are the ones who experience the fullness of God. King David, I think, um, great military man, you know, actually kind of like a savage, if you really look at, like, the way he lived his life. Um, we would never be like, what a godly man now. We'd be like, he was a warlord. <laughs> like, he was a brutal king. But there's a thing about him, and by the way, I mean, I think context is, is key there in terms of the environment they lived in and the world they lived in, but... There, it's also key in David's reactions to God because his behavior was one of a person who 
was just brutally vulnerable. That's actually like his highlighting this sensitivity to God, this, this willingness to give God his full, real self. We, we hear him, it says, a man after God's own heart. And if you're trying to Im- imitate David, you pretty much shouldn't be imitating anything but his pursuit of intimacy. Because a lot of the things he did were pretty rotten. You don't want to be going around, you know, killing people or you know, having affairs or doing a lot of these things that David did. But David's pursuit of intimacy and, and rawness, he was an artist, right? He was like a bleeding heart artist. He's writing these poems. He's constantly pouring his guts out. And I think it was the key. You know, it says in Psalms 139, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offensive ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right? He's saying, God, I want to be vulnerable with you. I want to be open with you. No fig leaves. No hiding. Then lead me in the way everlasting. For many of us, this way everlasting, that's the, that's the goal, right? But I don't think you can get to the way everlasting until you say, search my heart. And for many of us, our prayer life is like, dear God, we pray for our nation. We pray for these naughty people that aren't me. Um, we pray for my spouse. They have a lot of growth they need. And we pray for, I need money, so I ask you for money, God. Um, also, help me to get people saved because I really like that little boost to my Christian scorecard. Um, and yeah, that's it, God. I'm just so grateful for you. Let me sing a hill song. <laughs> Those are all things you should pray about, by the way. It's not how David prayed. <laughs> Like, this is my honest opinion. Not very, I guess, not incredibly theologically sound because I haven't researched specifically. But I think we would be much better off if our prayers pretty much centered around God, search my heart, search my heart, search my heart. Know me, know me, know me. Like, forget about the people around you. Think about, like, this is the one time where God's saying, like, think about... I actually do have some theology behind this because when he goes, hey, when you look at your neighbor and their sin and you want to take a speck out of their eye, take the plank out of your own eye first. And I think that's the heart of prayer. And this is not an anti-judgment thing. Like, I'm not about that. Like, literally, someone in your life is sinning, please, you know, confront them. That's scriptural. Um, And if someone confronts you, don't be a baby about it and say that they're judging you. Um, Just thank God that they're honest with you because that's very exposing. But when you're praying, confront yourself. In prayer, deal with what's going on in your heart because only you know what's really going on. Like, if we could all confront each other about every single thing, if you're thinking like, man, maybe I should leave my wife. Who's going to confront you about a thought like that except yourself? And you need to because thoughts become actions. This is essential to the Christian life to have the way everlasting. As you say, search my heart, God. Let me expose what's really going on. I want to be totally naked before you, God. Nothing to hide. I think for many of us, this idea would be revolutionary in prayer because Prayer has become like this mystified ritual, this routine. 
it's boring, but also some of us are new to faith. And I want to tell, talk to the new to faith people or the new to prayer people because a lot of you think you have to do these, like, all these rituals and say all the right things. And I'm telling you, you don't. If you just come before God and you say every day, God, search my heart. This is who I really am. I just want to be with you. That's enough. Your prayer life will be much richer than a person who's incredibly religious who's been doing it for 50 years who goes through the seven steps every day and does all this stuff but never deals with any honest thoughts and anything real. And you don't need to have it all together. I know people who just rant and rave at God. And that's pretty cool. That's okay. How many of us would love to have someone who we can tell anything and they would not judge us? That's... That's prayer. That's what it means to walk with God, naked and unashamed. Yep. To be fully known and fully loved. God offers us that in prayer. You know, it's powerful when you know, like, there's a person who will accept you as you are, but not just as you are, as any way you'll ever be. You know, bow. How do we come, overcome this challenge? How do we get this pathway to life? The power that's in this intimacy is this pathway to life. How do we get there? Well, in the story of Adam and Eve, we see mankind's fairly pathetic attempt at covering themselves up and making themselves acceptable to God. Um, because I think, like, at the core of this, you do need to be covered. Who could stand before a holy God when they have sin? We need a covering. Because we're not right. We're not innocent. And Adam and Eve, their attempt is fig leaves, which I can't even imagine what that looks like. Um, what are the self-made coverings in your life? What are your fig leaves? What do you do to keep him from seeing you in prayer? Where are you hiding? You know, is it fancy words? Is it never diverting from your daily reading plan? I did my thing. Check one off. Christian guy. Always complaining in prayer? That's a big one. Christians shouldn't be whiners, though. It's very ungodly. Um, is it listening to a worship song and calling it prayer? That's not prayer. Literally, I love worship music. If I have another Christian tell me that they drive in their car and listen to worship songs and that's their time with God, it's, that's like going to a concert with someone and saying you had a conversation. Like, or, like, or like standing across the room and listening to two people talk and being like, claiming that that person's your friend. It's like, no, that worship leader was talking to God, not you. <laughs> you need to get real. It's a prescriptive thing. There's nothing wrong with these things, but they're not intimacy. It's not enough. No. These fig leaves, we all know they won't do. They won't get the job done. So, God does today, I think, still what, um, what he always did for Adam and Eve, which is 
He makes us a covering for our own nakedness. He opens up the way everlasting. It says in Hebrews, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, God's plan is that we boldly approach him in prayer. That we boldly go and receive mercy and grace and the pathway to life. And to get those things, you've got to be where he is. But how do we get there? when we feel so inadequate, when we feel so shut down in our prayer life, when we, we just don't know what to do. And some of this is, I think, mechanical for some of us, where we just are, we, we can't think of things to pray about. I mean, I can tell you, just think about yourself and pray about yourself. Like, you don't need to have all this magical stuff. But some of it, I think, is literally like there's a roadblock in our mind, a mental block. And I promise, for, for some of us that are very, like, veteran Christians, this is where we slip up the most. Because I think we get a little confused between like our relationship with other Christians where we're trying to compete and our relationship with God where we're trying to submit. Like, I don't want, like, me, if, if everyone in the church knows about all my issues, like, me, like, who knows, maybe, like, you guys might not want me to be a pastor. Like, it's scary to be honest with other Christians. Um, I think you need to do that, by the way. You need to do that, but you certainly need to do that with God. And I think we take our behavior at church and we, and we kind of superimpose it on our prayer life. If you're at church, you're this godly children's worker, you're going to go into prayer life and you're going to be the godly children's worker. And it's like, no, naked. You're nothing before God. You know, how do we stop hiding? How do we, how do we stop doing this? I think it comes back to that covering. You know, you know, I'm a new dad. Uh, she's going to be three soon, and I feel new. I don't know. I definitely don't know what I'm doing. But one of the things I've seen is, um, you know, Ellie will, she's very, very clever at bedtime. She's got a lot of moves. And um, one of the delay tactics that ends up happening is this idea of, like, she lays in bed, she has no covers on, and then she says, Daddy, cover me. Daddy, cover me. So I have to run in, cover her, tuck her in. And for many of us, this idea that, like, Dad does it best. I need Dad to cover me. Being like that small kid, that kid in a crib, who says, Daddy, cover me. You know that Dad does it better than you could ever do it. It's not that Ellie can't put her own covers on, by the way. It's that she wants me to do it. You know, God takes our fig leaves, but he makes a better covering for us. Because when Dad covers us, it's just better. It's better when, when Dad covers us. And when we understand that through Christ, our nakedness is covered, that God made clothing for us, 
to cover up our nakedness, that we can boldly go into the throne room and receive grace, and we can be totally ourselves, because when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees Jesus. And it's a pathway to powerful, life-giving, and effective prayer, because it'll be truthful and real. You won't be praying about things that God's like, I mean, yeah, you, can, you should pray, pray for politics, pray for all these things that honestly you can't control because we, have, we serve a big God. He's capable of doing anything. But if you want to see God do something like right away, pray for yourself because God can transform your heart in a moment. He can relieve you of your shame instantly. He can speak revelation to your mind right away. He can give you peace that passes understanding in the middle of any situation. If you just tell him, like, God, I'm terrified. God, I don't have it all together. I need your grace. And you don't need to be ashamed because you're covered by the blood of Jesus. So just do it. Just go before God. Be real. Be yourself. And know that because the covering blood is on you, you don't need to get it all figured out first. I want to end with a small part of a hymn. This is, and I think this is the key. It says, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. And I think at the core of this intimate relationship with Jesus is this idea that I have nothing to bring you, God, except myself. And so I encourage you guys, practically speaking, to just try being as honest with God as you can. And don't try to make it, there's no technique, there's no magic thing I'm asking you to do. There's no, you know, of course, you don't know how to pray. Pray. There's a lot of incredible resources out there, including stuff that pastor has provided. Um, and do those things. You know, follow those rituals. They're great. I'm For me, they help. I'm, I'm not knocking that. But... They're not enough if part of that ritual is not just you being brutally honest with God, um, opening yourself up um, to being seen, and then also allowing him to cover you with his righteousness through Jesus. So I want to pray for you guys. Dear God, we thank you for, um, first of all, just an incredible church of people who truly love you. Um, I pray for anyone here who's struggling with just being vulnerable with you and feeling like you, you, you won't accept them if, if you really, really knew what they were like. I pray that they would see that you know already, that you came down to the garden first, that you initiated this relationship with them before they even thought about it. Even while they were hiding, while they were covering, God, you still wanted to know us and be with us. And you created a way a way for us to stand up to your holiness and to be in your presence with no shame, and that's Jesus Christ. So I pray for anyone who has not covered themselves with the blood of Jesus, that they would do that today, that they would say, Jesus, you're my covering. And then that we would all go before God. Issues, brokenness, problems, bring it all. Total honesty, 
total freedom, and that we would allow you to cover us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.